Morning, everyone. Good morning, Joel. It's great to see all of you and those of you by Zoom. Welcome. We're so happy to have you with us. And yes, we are in Mark. And I want to talk about the most useless passage of Scripture <laughs> in the New Testament. That's the title this morning. The most useless passage of Scripture. Maybe the most useless story, at least, in the Gospels. And let's read it so that you can bear witness with me that it is the most useless story in the Gospels. It's Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. So let's turn to that. This is known as uh, the uh, story of Jesus being anointed by a woman. There are four versions of it. There's uh, perhaps even four separate uh, women who do this, but it's the four Gospels. Matthew has a very similar, it's almost identical to, to Mark. Mark is actually written before Matthew. And according to most scholars, they believe that Mark is the original to the Gospels, but that he collected his stories from another source. And that Matthew, Luke, and John both took their information from Mark, but added their own stuff as they also were interacting with the stories that were being shared in the day. So Mark's version... This is very similar to Matthew's. Matthew seems to keep pretty close to that story. And then you have <coughs> Luke, and that's like a very different version, except that the particulars, some of the details are, are the same. It's a woman. It's this uh, expensive perfume. Um, and both of them come in and anoint Jesus. Uh, or all, all four of these women come in and anoint Jesus, if they are four different women. A lot of theories are they're the same. Um, but it's hard to do that since they're from different locations and uh, have different relationships that uh, don't seem to interact. So it, it's, there's, a, there's a confusion in the scholarly world as to what's going on here. And of course, I'm going to answer all of that this morning because clearly I'm the expert on this. But, um, but no, I want to avoid that entirely because I don't think that's the point. I think there's a much more important point that I want to bring to our attention this morning. But Beginning with that in mind that it is the most useless passage, let's read it together. Now, the Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus uh, secretly and kill him. Um, but not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. When he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, <clears throat> a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some who were present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. 
except that it hasn't. <laughs> Jen, you appreciated that. <laughs> Ladies, would you agree? <laughs> it has not. It has not. It has not been told in memory of her, perhaps because it is the most useless story in the Gospels. Those of you who are there by Zoom, if you want to put in the chat some thoughts, and Mario, if you want to take a look at them and maybe uh, give me some feedback on this. Uh, why do you suppose, I would say, or someone might say, of course you wouldn't do that, that it's the most useless story of the Gospels? Some of you are like, well, I would never say that. That's the Bible you're talking about. Others of you would be like, no, uh, I'm clearly in defense of, of the fact that women are hardly ever, you know, uh, held in good light by most scholars. But yeah, okay, whatever. That, that's very true. That's 100% true. But what else? Jen, you have your, your hand up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's a, it's a parable with a deeper meaning <laughs> or it doesn't like teach this really great lesson that Jesus is trying right. to convey. It serves no purpose in terms of achieving Excellent. 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 You said exactly why that. That's exactly why I titled it the most useless. It's the play on the word use. It has no functionality to it. Right. So, thank you. Yes. Yes. So Jen said because it doesn't seem. So this is my interpretation. She said it much more eloquently, but um, it has no function to it. it. Has no purpose to it. There's no deeper meaning. No teaching around what we should do, how we should be. It just sits there, uncomfortably too, by the way. It's just a, a very uncomfortable story. It just sits there. There's no, there, 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 what do you make of this? Because if it had been flipped and Jesus had said, yeah, that's a good point. You shouldn't have wasted this perfume on me. Take the money, sell it, and go serve the poor. How many of you would have said that's a good moral ending to that story? Right? Come on, let's be honest. This is the point of wrestling with scripture. You have to be honest. You have to be truthful about the way it viscerally makes you feel, the way it impacts you, because it challenges how we think, which is excellent. The, be the Bible begins, as I've said, the Bible begins to read us when we really wrestle with it. All right, so there's that, right? There's, a, there's, there's no usefulness about this. Right? So, but what this points to, and the reason why I think it's, it's, um, it's useless in all the right ways, is because this is a story about beauty. This is a story about beauty, not about functionality. And sometimes we think in terms of categories. Well, we always do. Things that are useful and things that are useless, right? I mean, when you decide to clean your, your house uh, of stuff that you've had for a long time, what do you do? How do you, how do you go about that? You look at things and you measure them by their usefulness or their uselessness. Now, in the case of some of us here, that may not fall into those categories very easily, right, my friends sitting across from me? So, not to pick on anyone here, because clearly that wouldn't be the case for, uh, for Joe. I mean, I'm sorry, did I just expose you there? So, there are some people who wrestle with, with what, you know, because it's sentimental, it has value that exists outside of pure functionality. And all of us 
at some point, no matter how use-oriented we are, like some of us are very practical. It's like it, it's either useful or useless. But even there, there are things that you will hold on to because they have some kind of value that exists outside of those categories of what is functional, what is useful, and what isn't. There are also the categories of good and bad. Jesus, would you have given us something about this story that would be either good or bad? Now, theologians try all the time, and what they say are things like, well, she kind of anticipated that he was going to die, and so she anointed his body with, with this perfume because they wouldn't have had time to do it after he was crucified. This is literally what scholars are saying, and that he wouldn't have had time. And I think, are you kidding me? Are, are we really, th- really going to say that that's the point of it? Or, well, others say, well, she worshipped Jesus in total abandon. She walked in. She didn't care what other people thought. She did this, and I agree 100%. That's a, a very big takeaway from this story, for sure. But it's interesting how when we tell these stories from the New Testament, almost all the time, the way I have preached them has been, be like Jesus. Jesus is the hero of every story in the Gospels. So be like Jesus. But here, we flip and go, be like this woman. We never, ever use this story to say, be like Jesus. Never. I've never heard a sermon, a single sermon about being like Jesus in this moment. It's be like her. So I want to talk about it from the angle of be like Jesus. So what would that mean? Well, it's back to this topic of beauty. Because what Jesus does is he makes this thing about beauty, not about usefulness or functionality, not about right or wrong. If it was about a right or wrong, this is clearly wrong. She wasted one year's wages. Total up your, what you made last year. Maybe for some of you, it's like not much, but... Um, <laughs> Total of what you made, and imagine that being, you taking that entire total, total of a year's wages, and you took it and you flushed it down the toilet. That's what it felt like for everybody who was there in that, in that moment. It seems so wasteful that you would pour that entire thing when how, that money could have been used in so many better ways, and Jesus steps outside the category of right and wrong, useless, useful, to beauty. What she has done is beautiful. Was it perfect? No, it's not the category we're in right now. We're in the category of beauty. Was it beautiful? Some of you, it's like, whoa, 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 you're messing with my ordinary way of thinking. Well, I, I, it messes with mine too. <laughs> it, it has to. Because sometimes I'm so about the end result that I miss the beauty that is in the middle of things. Let me suggest that beauty has the capacity perhaps to unite the extremes of good and bad, right, wrong, functionality, uselessness, usefulness. It has the capacity to bring those two together in a single moment in time, in a single moment in time. Jesus is extremely present to what is happening in this very moment. So let's look at it very quickly. We're going to go through this and then we'll have an exercise for us to practice observing beauty and seeing if we can see it in our lives. So beauty. Jesus sees this woman come in and Simon the, uh, the leper, it's his house. He's been healed of leprosy by Jesus. So 
of course, he's going to have, he's, apparently he's got some wealth, some money, so he's got a house, and Jesus is a guest there. And there are other people present. There are people of all sorts. There are, there are probably uh, disciples for sure, but maybe some others as well who are observing what's happening in this moment. When no one gets what's happening because it is the most awkward, uncomfortable story, perhaps, of the Gospels, or at least one. I would put it at the top, perhaps, four or five stories in the Gospels that create the most discomfort and should for all of us. Because here's a woman who, first of all, should not have been in the space except for serving uh, the men and serving, particularly being there to serve the teacher, the rabbi. Secondly, she should not have touched or done anything, been even, as, I mean, that close to being able to pour something on his head. And other gospel writers have it as she actually washes him, his feet with it as well. But it is extremely uncomfortable. Whatever's happening there, she is close. She pours the entire thing on his head. And let me add to that, maybe to extend the discomfort of the moment or to bring it into reality for us because it doesn't seem all that uncomfortable in our context, perhaps. But as she pours it onto his head, I would imagine she may have even put her hands there and kind of made sure it worked its way in to his hair, given that back in those days, there wasn't a whole lot of products to keep your hair nice and clean and shiny and you know, lots of combs and brushes. And so she may have worked it into him, into his hair and spent time. And all of the people who were around her were so uncomfortable. Ah, I can't get my eyes off of what's happening. I don't, my eyes are burning. I don't even want to see this. You can imagine people turning their heads in discomfort and Jesus going right along with whatever was happening in the moment, maybe teaching, maybe sitting, reclining, having a conversation as if unmoved by this. And yet, here's what I would suggest. Jesus himself was probably uncomfortable. It's funny that we never think about Jesus as being moved by things because we still have an old view of God in understanding what God is like. God is unmoved. God's untouched emotionally by things, you know, except for when God wants to be touched by emotional by emotions. But I'm convinced that Jesus was uncomfortable as any one of us would be. As he sat there, probably wishing she hadn't done this and wasn't doing this and trying to maybe change the subject or move on to something else. But something in him told him, be present to this moment because even if it doesn't fit in the categories of right or wrong or it feels like it should or it feels like there's something really wrong about this or it feels completely wasteful or useless something is beautiful about what she is doing because it is from her heart and she is pouring herself out there And so much of the time, we want to protect ourselves from what we see as uncomfortable or something that touches our emotions at a deep level. And so we want to go to what's quick and easy and safe, which is put it in those categories of right and wrong, put it in the categories of usefulness or uselessness, but don't let it impact you. And Jesus does. 
What's interesting about beauty is it oftentimes feels very wasteful. In our day, you know, it's like, well, make this thing, build this building, make it sure it's, it's functional. Well, what about beauty? Ah, that doesn't, that's secondary. Make sure it's functional. Uh, um, you know, um, this, this sermon, make sure it's truth. If you want to support it with something, make sure you support it. You can support it with some beauty, but make sure that it's truth. This song, this music, make sure that it conveys the message, you know, beauty is secondary. At least that's the way it was done with most of Christian music for the last 30 years. And I'm not kidding or joking, that is actually what was communicated to many of these musicians, is truth is most important. Truth is most important. And beauty... Beauty is something else, and it is very uncomfortable at times. It's wasteful. It's messy. So what I imagine this is, it is very much like a painting, an abstract painting. You ever see abstract painting? I've gone into these places and I say, what the heck? I mean, I could have just taken a can of a few paints and just done the same thing and, and called that art but that's because I'm a Neanderthal in the space of, of art. I don't see it. I don't understand it. Amen. <laughs> Me too. That doesn't surprise me, Mario. <laughs> and, and yet, there is something that Jesus does when he watches this that seems very messy, seems without point seems uncomfortable and he stays with it just like a good painting he stays with it and allows the painting to begin to speak to him beauty is very much like a dance where there is initiation and then there's a response it's a back and forth movement with beauty it's that you both look and lean in and at the same time you let it have its impact on you and Jesus looks at this moment and stays in the discomfort of what is happening because something is telling him this is coming from a good place. And I could quickly kind of say, that's really sweet of you. And I know that you love me and you care about me. But, but you know what? Why don't you save the rest of that and see if we can sell that and make some money and give to the poor? No, 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 no. Don't rush out of this moment. Stay with this moment. This moment has something for you. Beauty is always in the moment. It's not in the past. It's not off in the future. It's not off in our imagination. It's right here in front of us. It's in the dirt. It's in the blood. It's in the pain. It's in the distress. It's in all of it. As it is happening in the moment, there is something beautiful for us to be touched by. And so Jesus stays stays present to it. And I think that's when he gets the meaning of what this is. He gets a meaning from it that I'm sure the woman didn't even know. What was the, that was your meaning? That was your takeaway from this painting that I did, that I made? That's interesting. I was doing it because my heart breaks because I love you and people don't know who you are and don't understand what's happening. 
That's why I'm doing this. I'm doing this perhaps because I've been forgiven of things and I am deeply moved by you that you have lifted me up. I'm doing this because of love and you're seeing this as something else. You're adding meaning to it, which is what happens when we stay with beauty is that we get deeper meaning from the moment. And that's what's wonderful about staying with beauty, staying with it, is that meaning emerges. Something that speaks to us at a deeper level. And so Jesus emerges from that with something that lifts him up, that builds him up, knowing that he's about to be crucified. And so I want us to do something. And for those of you who are uh, watching us by Zoom as well, regardless of where you are, whether you're in your home, you're, um, you know, you're, you're, you might even be outside right now, wherever you are, um, let's take a few moments to think about beauty and to think about where it is in your life. And there's two questions that I think could, get, could be helpful to us and help guide us. One question is, is what I'm thinking is what I'm believing, is what I'm doing, beautiful? Because there's sometimes things that we're doing, saying, believing that are not beautiful. I, I think about things that I might say on social media, things that I might believe in my own mind and heart that guide me. And I wonder sometimes, did I think about beauty when I posted that? Did I think about beauty when I believe this thing? Is it creating beauty in this world? Is it creating beauty in my life? It seems like, a, again, an ancillary question. Is it true or is it false? Is it good or is it bad? Is it useful or useless? That's the questions, those are the questions we tend to think about. But there's another one, is it beautiful? Does it add to the beauty in this world or does it detract from it? Am I making things more ugly by my behavior, by my thoughts, by my beliefs? That's one way of looking at it. And that can create sometimes some, some shame in us, but it can also move us to doing something really good, to saying, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna seek beauty. I'm gonna seek to produce more beauty in this world and less of just these these binaries that I think about. Now, here's why. It's not because functionality has no purpose. It's not, it's not like it's, it shouldn't be in our lives. Like usefulness and uselessness, we shouldn't think about those. Or right and wrong are meaningless categories. They're not. They're important, very important categories. But beauty manages to elevate good and bad. It actually makes things more clear to our minds sometimes whether this is really about what I think it is. Now, I could stand here and say, here's the reasons, all the reasons why you shouldn't vote for Donald Trump. I could stand here and say, here are all the, and I could say all of these things and try to prove it, and I could prove it, or I could stand up here and say, here are the reasons why you should vote for him and, and try to prove it to you. And those would all be beliefs, but I might be missing the very moment that this is not what this is about right now, that this is about something else. And do I see this moment for what it is? Can I see the beauty in it? Can I bring more beauty into this moment 
so that I then ask myself a third question, which is not just is it right or is it wrong, but is it beautiful? And so the other question that follows with that, so one is, is this beautiful? Is what I'm thinking or doing or saying beautiful? The other one is, where is the beauty in this present moment? Because it's here. Now, certainly for those of us who are right here present, this space is beautiful. Right now, the, 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 the weather's pretty nice. It's decent, right? We can, we can, we're, we're here. It's, it's sunny. We can see the beauty. And so we can ask ourselves that question even in the places where there's distress, where there's pain, where there's difficulty. Where is the beauty in this very moment right now? And so I'd ask us to do that. Where's the beauty in your home? Where's the beauty in your relationships? Where's the beauty in our world right now? That's a little bit harder, isn't it? <laughs> that can be very difficult. But where's the beauty? Would you take a few moments, and as we transition to worship, to music, which could be very helpful to eliciting that beauty in us, is to ask yourself that question and make that a discipline in your life. Is what I'm thinking, saying, feeling, doing, is, uh, is it beautiful? And then secondly, where is the beauty right now? If you made that a discipline in your life to do that for one week, promise me you're gonna do that for one week, at least once a day, to pause, maybe write it down, say, this is what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna make this a goal of mine to do this every day, and see if you can, see what comes of that. See what the answers, what answers emerge. And then also what fruit comes about in your life.